Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Fred Sievert, who is a former executive of a Fortune 100 company. I love Fred. Fred is just such a great man. And I love him, especially when he told us at the very beginning of our conversation that he listened to us. Yes. Right? Very true. I was like, oh my gosh, Fred Sievert listened to us. I was so excited. So we asked him, how did he balance faith, family, and his career? What advice would he give folks who are trying to get promoted at their employer or possibly even looking to switch careers? And Fred had some incredible stories concerning his five children. We can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation with Fred Sievert. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Russell & Associates. This financial services firm in New Albany, Ohio, specializes in retirement planning and asset management. Check out their website at russellandcompany.com. There you can download your free copy of the just-in-case book that will help prepare you for your future. Thank you, Russell & Associates, for being a proud sponsor of Tell Us a Good Story. Steph? I am ready to have a fantastic conversation with this next guest. Oh, it's going to be great. This is going to be a big honor for us. So friends, our next guest has accomplished a lot in his life. He graduated from Yale. He reti- Yale. 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 Yes, Ivy League. Yeah. Yale. Ooh. He retired as president of the New York Life Insurance Company, which, by the way, is a Fortune 100 company. And he's a Christian author with a new book out called Fast Starting a Career of Consequence. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to tell us a good story, Mr. Fred Sieverts. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. My, my pleasure to be with you. I've listened to some of your, uh, your broadcasts. And, oh, you uh, have? This is going to be fun because you guys have that bit of humor in there. You're, you're very interesting <laughs> people and you've got some. That broadcast you did with your buddies about the trips you took. Oh, that was that was classic. <laughs> Out of all the ones that he could have listened to, I'm I'm shocked that That's there's the, the one ones picked. He, he picked. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, okay, I have something to say. I go have ahead, to go say. ahead, honey. Okay, so you guys, I changed clothes, came home after a long day, took a shower. I wanted to get into comfy, cozy clothes, and I'm like, Kevin, what do I need to wear to talk to Fred? And he's like, ballroom gown. Yeah, ballroom gown. <laughs> he's like, babe, it doesn't matter. I'm like, great. I'm gonna wear a high state clothes. No big deal. Well, Kevin comes out of the closet in a nice polo and jeans. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you dressed like this? And he's like, Stephanie, we're talking to an executive. I guarantee you he's going to show up in a suit. I'm like, there's no way Fred is going to show up in a suit at 7.15 at night. So it was like the clock was ticking down and I got nervous. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go change. And we open up to recording and here's Fred in this suit. And I'm like, oh, thank (laughs) God I changed. I'm like, Kevin's like, babe, he's an executive. He is going to look nice for this conversation. Yes. Stephanie, though, I, you know, I got to say it's a sport coat, not a suit. This is business casual without a tie. (laughs) And I also got to say, I wonder what was coming, coming next when you said Kevin came out of the closet. Fred, I thought the same thing. I'm like, Ooh, that didn't sound good. 
<laughs> so is it true though, Fred, that when you were an executive, you were known for actually lounging around the pool in a suit and tie? Is is that true? What? How did you discover that? <laughs> it, it was. It, I used to do these spoof videos and we did a bunch of them like that at the uh, at the big agent meeting, spoof videos of me doing crazy things. And yeah, I was. Uh, did you see one of those? Or are you just guessing? No, no, I did a little research, Fred. Oh, you did? Oh, of okay. course. I'm not winging this. Okay. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Good. Yes. Oh, did you see the Blues Brothers video? I did. You and your son, right? Yep. Yep. That was. <laughs> but I don't know where that was at. Was that like a national sales convention or something that you were at? Well, that whole thing was done in the studio, the, the filming of it. Okay. But uh, I, I showed that at all of my retirement parties. And we were at the time, we were in 12 countries. So I had, I think, 12 different retirement parties. Oh, because, my gosh. Because I went all over the world telling people this is my last visit. And I, I'd show that video on most of those those parties. Yeah. Oh, and people, that's funny. And they told me later at New York Life, the, the audiovisual people, that that was for years the most requested video of their production group for really? for many years after I retired. Yeah, well, play it again. Yeah, let's, let's play do it again. It again. <laughs> let's do it again. Fred's, Bring it up. Fred's not here anymore, but hey, let's get a good laugh. I want to know. So, did you always wear a suit and tie? Like, no matter where you went, like that was just what people. Your attire. Yes, I did during my working years. Frankly, I have not worn a suit other than for these kinds of interviews for any other occasion. When you go to church. Suit or casual now? The most I will do is like I am now, business casual with a sport coat. But okay. usually you usually not even that. Oh, that's good. He's fully retired. He is. He yes. is. <laughs> so Fred, I am curious though, when you were a corporate executive, I can only imagine how intense of a life that can be for you, your family. It just I just assume it's twenty four seven, right? Yeah. Can you yes. share with us what that was like, like, what was a typical day like when you were an executive for a Fortune 100 company? And folks, when I say Fortune 100 company, he was president of a company that had over 67,000 employees. That's crazy. So this is a humongous company. Fred's a big deal. Yes. And he's talking to us, which is so like exciting. Said, well, this is an honor for us to be <laughs> yes. able to talk to Fred. Right? So, but what, can you share kind of how intense your schedule was? What was a typical day like? Yeah, it was incredibly intense. And I'll, I'll tell you what. My third book, Fast Starting a Career of Consequence, the last chapter a lot of people say is the best chapter in the book. It's called Balancing Faith, Family, and Career. So my job was very intense. I always had difficult decisions to make every day. I, my secretary would book meetings in 15-minute intervals. And there were often times when I would do nothing but meetings all day long and could only get work done after the close of the working day. So it's very intense. But here's how I started my day. And I I guess I was kind of blessed by the fact that I didn't have to get as much sleep as most people. So I, in terms of balancing faith, family, and career, I would get up at four in the morning every day. Mm. I'd work out on an exercise bike. And I, initially, I'd had a BlackBerry and I was sending messages because we had business all over the world. So I was getting messages and responding. And then I decided, no, I'm going to start sending the messages to each of my five kids every day and my wife. Yeah, obviously it's better to talk face to face, but I, you know, I thought this is a good way to connect. And so I'd send him a very short message. I'd always end it with, I love you and I'm very proud of you. And I would never get much of a response unless I said, 
please acknowledge receipt of this message. And, and I get a two, <laughs> I get a two word response. Got it. You know, <laughs> but th- then, I, then after I finished the emails, I then read the Bible. Then I go to my prayer list was a pretty long prayer list of almost entirely intercessional prayers for other people. So before six o'clock in the morning, you know, when most people weren't even out of bed yet, I got exercise, I communicated to my family, I talked to God, and I heard from God by reading his word. So it was kind of a great way to start the day. And then from there, it was, you know, a sprint for most of the day. And there were often, I'll just tell you one other faith-related thing, and this is talked about in my book, is I probably prayed 10 to 15 times a day at work. And it was many times just to myself, you know, I'm speaking to God without doing it verbally or with anyone else in the room. But one of the things that I had heard from a uh, Catholic priest, Father John Ricardo, and he was taking calls constantly of people who were in crisis of some sort, suicidal addictions, you name it, physical abuse. And he said that he had this short prayer that he would just say to himself and to the Lord in the middle of these conversations, he'd say, Lord, I can't, you can, please do. And I felt that way many times at New York Life that I'm sitting in a meeting where I got to make a tough decision and I'm not smart enough to make that decision. I need guidance from the Holy Spirit to guide me through it. And, you know, that short prayer, I really felt like God was hearing that. And it was affecting how I responded to the situation. Oh, I That's like good. that. So when would you get to the office? When would you leave the office? Well, for most of the year, I, I'd get there when it was dark and I left there when it was dark. You know, I'd get there by 7 a.m. And I'd usually, sometimes I'd leave as early as 6 o'clock, but that, that was pretty rare. So I, I was working 11, 12, 13-hour days. But the other thing is, you know, even when I was sleeping, the mind is racing. Yeah. You know, so I actually decided to retire early at age 59 and go to divinity school, which is unusual. I wasn't the youngest person there, but I'll tell you an interesting story. My first day at school, I'm age 59. I'm leaving my house in Connecticut to go up to Yale. And my oldest daughter with my grandchild are visiting. And she's in the living room with my wife as I'm walking out the front door to go to school. And my daughter yells out, Dad, Play nice with the other kids and don't, <laughs> and don't forget to share. And, you know, that was funny, but it was actually kind of profound because that whole experience at Yale was about spiritual sharing. And even though Yale's a very liberal place and I tend to be more conservative, it didn't matter. You know, I had a wonderful experience there. I mean, how many people say to themselves every day, I'm really happy right now? And, and that's what I said to myself, sitting in those classes at Yale, interacting with the faculty and the students and the administration um, was a great experience. So, well, Fred, when I read that you went to Yale for divinity, my immediate thought was, I didn't know they believed in God there at Yale, right? <laughs> like, it surprised me because, again, these schools are so liberal, right? So yeah. why did you choose to go to Yale versus maybe any other school in regards to getting your master's in divinity? Yeah, well, two of my ministers at my church in Connecticut had both gone to Yale later in life. One of them became the senior minister of my church, and the other one was a New Testament professor at Yale. But I was really determined to do it. I really felt like I I wanted to enhance my spiritual education and development, and I felt this was the way to do it. 
Evan, do you like to help your friends out? It depends. If our friends are asking me to help them move, then no, I absolutely do not <laughs> like to help my friends out. But what if your friend had a weekly radio show and podcast and just wanted you to tell someone about it? Yes, I could totally do that. That is much easier than me trying to carry a piano down into a basement, which has happened to me in the past, and you know who you are. <laughs> friends, we are not asking you to carry a piano for us. But if you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. But regardless, thank you for listening. Was there ever a time when you were at Yale that very first year where you're like, "Ugh, I wish I was still president." What did of the I company. do? Yeah, did I make the wrong decision, or did you have peace the whole time that first year? Yeah, no, I, there was never a moment like that. I obviously I missed the people and the experiences, but you know, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure. That's why I said I said every day I'm, I'm really happy right now. In 2013, a Wealth Channel magazine asked me to write an article on retirement plans. And they expected me to write an article about financial planning. And I didn't. I mean, I mentioned financial planning, but I I wrote the article and I entitled it Happier, Healthier, and Younger in Retirement, because that's exactly how I felt in 2013, happier, healthier, and younger. And that's how I feel today, 14 years after retiring, because you know what? I'm following what I think is God's calling for me. And when you're following God's calling, you're going to be happy. If you have a passion and you follow the passion, you know, they say you'll never work a day in your life if you're following your passion. This isn't work. This is fun. Speaking to you guys is terrific. Well, I have a question. You retired at 59. So did your friends were like, wait, what are you doing, Fred? Was your wife like, babe, let's think about this. Do you really want to do this? Like, how did that conversation And I'm assuming you were 59 and a half for the IRA. (laughs) deductions as well, Fred, right? (laughs) I didn't even think about that. No, you know, there was never a question because people knew about my faith. In fact, one one of the great moments was when I was introduced at these retirement parties and the CEO of the company would introduce me. And no one was surprised when I retired to go to divinity school. I mean, no one questioned it. No one was surprised by it because they knew about my faith. How did you keep life in balance, right? Because from my experience, I used to report to a CFO. I won't say which company it was, but he had a couple small children. And I asked him where his kids went to school at. I think it was preschool and another was was daycare. And Fred, he didn't know. He couldn't tell me the name of his kid's preschool. He's so consumed by work. And this man could rattle off our margin percentage to the T, right? He's focused on all the numbers but yet he wouldn't be able to go pick up his kids from school if someone had called him. So with you, how did you try to keep things in balance when you are working that intensive a schedule? Well, you know, that's that's why I established the early morning practice, number one. Yeah. But, but secondly, another thing that I did, we have five kids. And I took a trip every year with each one of my kids alone, one-on-one. And so five trips a year for probably 20 years, you know, over a hundred trips. And a lot of times it would be as simple as going up the road to a hotel five miles away and just spending personal bonding time with that kid. Now it did get 
more extravagant at some times. Uh, I took some of them to Europe. I took one of them to Korea because she's a Korean orphan. But that I think that was maybe my biggest legacy to the company was having done those trips with my kids because I talked about it all the time when I was speaking to agents and employees. And I tell funny stories about those trips. And even now, 14 years after retiring, I get letters, emails, text messages from employees and agents who say, thank you so much for sharing those experiences because I adopted the practice with my own kids. And it's it's a wonderful bonding experience. So that's just one way to do it. But, you know, my my day-to-day was very intense. I used to enjoy just running around doing errands on Saturday and getting my mind off of the business of the office. I don't enjoy that anymore, you know, yeah. picking out the laundry. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fred, I remember during intense times, so I was in management with J.P. Morgan Chase and a couple of Fortune 500 companies. And I remember during some stressful times, whether it's putting the annual budget together or a long-range plan, I remember dreaming about numbers, right? I'm dreaming about presenting <laughs> you know, these presentations to the executive and these committees and stuff. Like it, it, I was just overwhelmed and, and stressed. So I can't imagine you being on just a completely different level. It's the same thing. you know. At least the, the things you dream about and think about are very diverse because I had so many responsibilities. But yeah, there was a lot of that. I should tell you about my five kids, if I could. Please. Because my story is very much like what I've heard you say at the beginning of your show. My wife and I were both told we could never have children. We Mm. were tested independently, and we could never have children. We tried in vitro fertilization. Didn't work. We tried in vitro fertilization with a donor sperm. Didn't work. So we adopted two Korean orphans. One when she was nine months old, that's my oldest, Heidi. The second one when she was five months old, that's Dina. And the third one was a special needs child, Denise, who we adopted when she was two. Then after 16 years of marriage, along came the miracle of Zachary, a natural born boy. When I was told I could never have children, I went through fertility treatment for two or three years. Then whoa, whoa, wait, 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 You have a question? I, yes. When did your wife or how did she like find out she was pregnant? Like what happened in that day? Well, all I'll say is I remember it well. She was very regular in terms of her period. And she said, Fred, I don't know. I got to get tested. And so she went and she was pregnant. I mean, it was just a miracle. And, and then 18 months later, along oh. comes the... Along comes the miracle of Corey. What? The first, yeah, the first miracle. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. You had another one? He's got five kids, Steph. I know. I was thinking we were going to have adoption or something again. <laughs> yeah. No, no. 18 months later, along comes the miracle of Corey. And then a short five weeks later, along comes the miracle of a vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, My heart just dropped. I'm like, <laughs> thank, thank you, Lord. But five is enough. You know? <laughs> But you know the cool thing of that, Fred? God's timing is perfect. God, yes. like God knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew no matter what that you and your wife would conceive. But he's like, no, no, no. There's three girls that need parents, and I've chosen you to be their parents. Yeah, so right. he's like, I just need to delay this so you guys can get your girls. You know, it's really, it's really insightful that you said that. 
The first book I wrote was called God Revealed, and it was 31 stories of my own encounters with God over the course of my life. And the story I just told you about my kids was in a chapter that was entitled God Revealed in His Perfect Timing. That was in that chapter. I love that. Well, Fred, if you don't mind, I want to brag on you here for a few minutes. So for most guests, I give a list of fun facts. So listeners and my wife will have a better understanding of you. So I have not shared any of this with my wife, right? And you've already gone through a few fun facts on my list. So let me go through this for you, Steph. All right. So Fred was the first in his family to earn a college degree. He earned his bachelor's from Amherst College, master's degree from Wayne State University, and another master's degree in religion from the Yale Divinity School. After seven years as a high school teacher, he started as an actuarial student at John Hancock Mutual Life Insurance Company. What? You were a teacher first. Did you teach business? No, no, no. I was teaching middle school. Really? Yeah, I taught math and photography. I, I would have preferred high school or college, but there was a glut of teachers. It was during the Vietnam War. And, you know, the, everybody was getting deferments by teaching. And I, so that wasn't the reason I did it. I really liked teaching. But, uh, you know, I kept getting pink slipped every year and I never there was no security. in it. it wasn't a financial thing. It was I didn't have security that I had a job every year because I had the potential of getting laid off. I mean, it was a bad situation, but I loved the kids and the teaching aspect of it. For me, it was going to be like, I can't deal with these middle school students anymore. I got to get out of here. Kevin's going to war. (laughs) Kevin's like, Kevin chooses being off. Versus (laughs) middle school students? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it's a a close call. (laughs) It's a toss-up. The coin toss, which is worse. Vietnam or seven years of middle school students. (laughs) Yeah. So after seven years, Fred left to become the product actuary at Maccabees Mutual in Michigan. And then at Maccabees, he was promoted several times until eventually he was elevated to SVP and CFO of the company. Then in 1991, Fred joined the New York Life Insurance Company as its SVP and CFO of individual operations before retiring as president of the company in 2007. Like I said, president of the company, this isn't some mom and pop shop, right? This is a Fortune 100 company. 67,000. Across, you said 12 countries, I believe. Yeah. So massive, massive responsibilities. And and I'll tell you, Kevin, think about this. Would you listen to a show with a CPA and an actuary on it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I say that. Fred, when I was doing my research on you, I was like, oh man, the both of us here are big personalities, (laughs) CPA and actuary. (laughs) That came across my mind. I'm like, oh man. Well, we used to joke about it. Who's the least social CPAs, actuaries, or funeral directors. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I knew, I'm going to steal that. I know you are. <laughs> That's, I love that. That's really good. This is yeah. why God brought me into his life to liven me up, liven some. him up, to help him. Yes. Yeah. Bring, bring this gift out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I didn't know it existed. Yeah. All right, Steph. I got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. So what's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get 
our book. Honey. Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes and Noble. Yes, and and our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. And then Fred later went on to receive pretty much every award you can imagine in the insurance industry, including the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2013, which was bestowed by the Million Dollar Roundtable of New York. Mm. Then in addition to serving on multiple nonprofit and for-profit boards, he's taught business school courses on strategy and leadership. And then Fred just recently finished his third book, like we discussed, which is Fast Starting a Career of Consequence, which stuff is so timely right now with people getting back in the workforce or trying to change careers right now. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us how did this book idea come about? Well, it's interesting. The genesis of the book really was my daughter, Dina, who had just graduated from college. She graduated from Calvin College of Michigan. And she got an entry-level job at a big global cosmetics firm. And she came to me and she said, Dad, you know, I've been there for several months this is getting really monotonous, boring. She had a degree in French. And she said, can you give me some tips on how to get noticed at work, how to build a real career out of this job and, and advance? So I took that seriously. I thought long and hard about what I might notice as a high-ranking executive in people lower in the organization. And I gave her five tips. She followed the tips and she had a lot of really good success. And she's smart anyway. You know, she's a smart kid, but the tips helped her. I then used those tips when I gave three commencement addresses and, and it got a lot of positive feedback. I ended up writing an article about the five tips and a number of people read it. And actually what happened most recently is marketwatch.com, which is a very, very big blog. They read that article. And they got a hold of me and said, we'd like you to expand upon tip number five. So I did that and they published it. So my literary agent read it on their blog and he calls me. He says, Fred, you know, you've got another book here. And I said, I hadn't really thought about it, but let me give it some thought. Maybe I'll do it. So I did think about it and I came up with some additional tips because I remembered giving some advice and mentoring some people at New York Life and giving them some tips. So the book has five chapters on biblical principles in the workplace and 10 chapters on business-related tips. And here's the interesting story. Suddenly, COVID-19 hits, and now there's a much bigger market because there's millions of people re-entering yes. the workforce. And this book is not just for Christians because of the value of the business advice. Well, Steph, I want to read a quote here, and it says... According to the statistics, and this, this is from his website regarding the book, most of us are not doing work every day that we're a good fit for. The numbers vary, but it appears that as many as four in five people are doing jobs that do not allow them to do what they do best every day. So to what you just said. That's good, by the way. That's very good. Mm -hmm. How do you advise people on how to find the thing that they do best every day? Well, I think we all have unique spiritual gifts. I really believe that, and I've identified my own spiritual gifts. And that chapter one, I got a hold of the guy named Darren Shearer, 
who you, you may have seen his work because he developed a little pamphlet, a little booklet that was a spiritual gifts assessment tool. We had like 90 questions, you know, and you got to answer these 90 questions and score each one between one and five. And then you add up your scores in different categories. And it's pretty good at giving you a, a fairly good idea of where your gifts are, what your spiritual gifts are. And he allowed me to print that in the book as Appendix A. Oh, nice. So I encourage people to take that test and get a feeling for your spiritual gifts. But the other thing is, I say to people, ask yourself, what, what am I really passionate about? This is part of the article I've written for MarketWatch recently. And ask yourself what you're passionate about. Now, what really makes time stand still for you? What do you do at work that is very fulfilling and gratifying? And you get complimented on your skills in that area. And, and that's the job you ought to pursue. What I found in my executive work is that people campaign for the wrong jobs for the wrong reasons. They campaign for title and money. It's not because they're well-suited to what they're doing. And as a result, many people are quite miserable. When I went to New York Life, I, I didn't use a headhunter. I sent them a letter with my resume. And at the end of my resume, I listed 12 references, and two of them were people I had fired. Really? I thought it was very powerful. They agreed to let me use them as a reference. And the reason I used them as a reference is I fired them earlier in my job at McAdoo's because they were in the wrong job, and I didn't have another job for them. And they were miserable. I mean, they, they weren't sleeping well. Their health was suffering. Their marriage was at risk. They just weren't happy people. They were in the wrong job for the wrong reasons. And I said, you need to find something that you're better suited for. And both of those people, a couple of years later, made an appointment with me to come and see me to thank me for firing them. Jeez. And now that's not going to happen all the time, obviously. Right. You know, it's not going to happen very often. Fred's like, you're welcome. <laughs> you're fired. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. You'll thank me You'll for this. You'll thank me for this you years later. You're going to thank me for this. <laughs> I, I, I've never said that. But, but, you know, I just thought it was very powerful in the resume to have someone claim that it was one of the best things that happened in their life. You yes. probably run into a lot of people yourselves that, you know, they're in the wrong job and they're miserable. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah I've been there. But what would you say to someone like myself, Fred, in the situation I'm in, right? So I really feel like my gifts, my passion is being an elite level husband to this woman right here. But the problem, Fred, is it, it doesn't pay very well. So maybe there's a survey I need to yeah, take. Yeah, I think he needs that survey. We need to get Fred's books. We can take the survey. <laughs> But, well, I'll tell you when the Market Watch thing publishes it. You got to read the article. I God. would love that. Final question here for you, though. So you talk about you mentoring other people and giving your daughter tips, right? And career advice, which, by the way, invaluable to have a dad take the time to give thought-provoking advice to his daughter to help her with her career. But what's some of the best advice or tips you got during your career from a mentor that you had? I had a number of mentors, and I made a lot of mistakes in my career. I thought there were times I was going to get fired early in my career. So, you know, I had difficult times and throughout my career. I loved what I did. I thought New York life was fantastic, and I was impacting a lot of lives in a very positive way. 
But I, I think the mentors that coached me, the best ones were the ones who would tell me what I was doing wrong and really took an interest in my development, which doesn't happen very much anymore. In, in today's stressful environment and the pressure on profits, especially in public companies, they're not going to spend a lot of time trying to develop you or sending you to seminars and meetings right. and things like that. I always felt like if they paid to have me go to an industry meeting, I was going to come back with at least two or three really great ideas. And I always did. And I always came back and implemented them. And, and you know what happens when you do that? They're going to send you to more meetings because, <laughs> right. you know, you're, you're coming back with really actionable items. Yes. So it was the best advice I got were, was, was constructive criticism. And sometimes it's hard for people to give that. Uh, you know, you're from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. There, there's a conflict avoidance. You know, I hate to generalize too much, but there really is a, kind of a conflict avoidance among a lot of Midwesterners where they don't want to say anything at all that could be perceived as negative. But, you know, you're helping people when you coach them and you tell them what they could do better. Well, listeners, for more information about Fred, you can go to his website, storiesofgodsgrace.com. You can go to his Facebook page at Fred Sieb one and we will put all of this information in the show notes. But please go check out his book, Fast Starting a Career of Consequence. So, Fred, thank you so very much for saying yes to us. Thanks, Fred. We greatly appreciate this. Thank you. This is I knew we were going to have a great conversation because I listened to some of your other episodes. And you're a lot of fun to talk to. And I wasn't disappointed. This was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. It's completely free, you guys. This helps us out big time with the folks who track this stuff. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to please rate or even write us a review on Apple Podcast. We need as many as we possibly can, even if it's just one sentence. Thank you for listening, you guys, and sharing us with your friends. 